Morning. Well done, Alex. Oh wow. Um, brace yourselves. This could get a very could become a very personal message uh, for you in terms of how you live out your faith, and I'm excited about that. Um, I love this book of uh, Luke that we're going through. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Jesus film. Uh, the book of Luke is basically put in the, in the film, in the Jesus film, been used in many languages around the world. Uh, you often, I wonder why they choose the book of Luke. I think it's because the book of Luke helps us to see Jesus as a person, very approachable, very understandable. And it's been great to be going through this book uh, of, of Luke um, and watching God unfold um, Jesus in this book. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, Tony was uh, sharing how one of his lower spiritual gifts, if you will, is mercy. And he and I share this. Um, my students know this already, especially when it comes to excuses for late homework assignments or just being late. Um, but one of the spiritual gifts which we don't share in terms of uh, what God has given us is the gift of evangelism. Tony, I'm very thankful for a senior pastor who exercises the gift of evangelism in the different contexts in his life. I, on the other hand, that would be my number two lowest spiritual gift. Now, you would think someone who had spent 23 years on the mission field would be better qualified if they had a gift of both mercy and evangelism. <laughs> Not the case. Um, what that means, though, is that I have to rely on God to live out those things through me. Uh, there is not a person in this room who is not called to evangelize. Whether you have the gift of evangelism or not, if you're wondering, typically those who have the gift of evangelism, it's very hard for those people to not tell people about Jesus. And, <laughs> and I'm so thankful for those people around me who have that gift. It's not too unlike the idea of being an introvert and an extrovert sometimes. I'm married to a strong extrovert, and I praise the Lord for that, because I can stand behind her at the parties and the gatherings and exercise my introvert self. <laughs> but even this introvert has to get out and talk to people once in a while. Now we as, and so at the beginning of this message, here's what I would like you to do, to even now prayerfully begin to ask God, who in your life needs to hear about Jesus from you? from you. Uh, this is going to bring a lot of our DNA as a church together as we think about this. Um, do we fear men or do we fear God more when it comes to exercising the discipline of, of evangelism? Now, Michael O was our missions conference speaker at LBC last month, and um, he had us work through a little bit of research that, that he had seen. So let me ask you this question. How many of you in this room have been a Christian for five years or more? Raise your hand. Okay. The research has shown that those of us who have known Christ five years or more tend to share our faith less than those who are, have been Christians five years or fewer. How many of you would fit into that second category? You've been a Christian five years or fewer? Raise your hand. Okay. A few, handful or so. We need more of those people in our congregation. Amen? 
if we are living out our oikos strategy of ministry, this building that we need already will be in need all the more urgently as we see people come to Christ. Now, the encouraging thing for those of us who have known Christ longer than five years is that it has also shown that we, we are more intentional with the sharing of our faith. But let me share with you some other research that came out of the Barna uh, group last, uh, two months ago, I think it was, uh, last month. There's six questions or six statements, and you'll see here the yellow represents those who are the elders, meaning those who are right now 73 years old or more. The boomers in the green are 54 to 72 years old right now. Gen X, 35 to 53 years, and millennials, 20 to 34 in the orange, or whatever you call that color. And then there are those of you who are even younger than that. But let's look at these six statements. Agree or disagree? Part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. It's encouraging to see that 95 to 97% of all believers that, were, uh, that responded to the survey agreed with that statement. That's good news. Number two, the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus. In order for, and again, look at the percentages, over almost 100%. I think most of us in this room would agree that the greatest thing that has ever happened to us is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. If that is true, is that also not true that that's the greatest gift we could give to somebody else? The third statement, when someone raises questions about faith, I know how to respond. They're still between 86 and uh, 92%. That's, that's good. But look at these next three, especially numbers four and five. Number three, I am gifted at sharing my faith with other people. Okay, numbers are going down, but it's still encouraging. But now we come to these last two statements. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Nearly 50% of the millennials agree with that statement. And the last one reinforces that. If someone disagrees with you, it means that they're judging you. 11, 9, 22, 40%. This is why we need to talk about what Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. So let's go ahead and turn open to Luke chapter 12. And as you do so, the ushers are coming forward with Bibles if you need one. If you don't have one, this is our gift to you. This research article included the following statement. Younger folks are tempted to believe instead. If we just live good enough lives, we can forego the conversation entirely, and people around us will almost magically come to know Jesus through our good actions and selfless character, she said. This style of evangelism is becoming more and more prevalent in a culture constantly looking for the fast track and simple fix. It's not too unlike the story of the farmer who, wanted, who was a believer and wanted his neighbor to come to Christ, and so he was going to live the exemplary Christian life before his neighbor. And one day, the neighbor came up to him and said, you know, I've noticed something different about you. Are you a vegetarian? <laughs> Some of you are familiar with the quote, preach the gospel when necessary. Use words. Let me... 
tell you it is always necessary at some point in time to use words. Yes, your life needs to match your words. We have to have lives of integrity because this is what's happening in Luke 12. What happened in Luke chapter 11 is Jesus was railing against hypocrisy. And so our words and our actions must match up. So let's go ahead and read Luke 12, verses 1 to 12, and start diving into this. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner, in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will, uh, how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Imagine what, what's going on here. Thousands upon thousands of people so many that they are actually falling on each other. And what is Jesus, what is this his first thing to do? Okay, guys, gather around. You are about to go into public ministry, and we need to talk. Now, I don't know how many of you are aware of what happens before these services. Um, at about 8.20 or so, I, I come in, the worship band's are getting ready, the sound guys are getting things checked, I get the mic on, and do a sound check, and then at 8.30 each Sunday, whoever is speaking and others gather in for prayer in the side room over here to pray for the morning's worship time. That is then followed by a gathering in the kitchen of all those who have a part in the Sunday morning worship time for a prayer. Okay, what's going on? Anything we need to know? Uh, let's pray. God, please orchestrate what you're, what's going to happen here. I almost imagine something like that with Jesus to his disciples. Like, okay, guys, gather around. You're about to go into public ministry. Let's talk about this because some of you are going to be fearful about that. And some of you, even, imagine if you were in that room and, and, and Jesus says, says to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime I hear someone refer to hypocrisy, my mirror comes up. Okay, where have I been hypocritical? Where have I been like the Greek drama of people putting a mask in front of my face 
so that I, they see what I want them to see and not necessarily what's going on inside of me. That two-faced kind of thing is, is hypocrisy, and Jesus has railed against the Jewish leaders about that, and he's, he compares it to yeast. Those of you who bake, you know, just need a little bit of yeast, and it will permeate the entire mixture. Imagine, okay, so what's your favorite pie? Uh, for me, peach. Peach pie is my favorite. Come July, it's peach pie time. But can you imagine getting a peach pie made that has, let's say, eight to ten peaches in it, and one of those was rotten? Yeah, I see some of your faces like, yeah, you're imagining that. Just a little bit of yeast, one bad apple, one bad peach. Or how about, how many of you are omelet? Are you a one, two, or three egg omelet person? <laughs> what if just one of those four eggs were, were rotten? How much of that omelet would you want? Well, isn't it the same thing when, when you have a little bit of hypocrisy in your life? It affects all of your life, including what you say to others about Christ. And so he's warning them about not just their hypocrisy, but also ours. We often try to put a good face forward. Now, there's, I, w- I would say we Christians are in danger of doing this even in, with what we think is most spiritual, how about going on a short-term missions trip? Uh, one of the uh, authors that, I, that I've, I remember reading, he said, short-term missions trips have become the modern-day equivalent of the summer youth camp experience. And what he means by that is youth have a, a, a temptation to wear that as a spiritual badge. Look at me. I went on a short-term missions trip. Have you been on one? Oh, well, I've actually been on three. Is there something in your life that you use as a spiritual badge? Be careful. It might actually be a sign of hypocrisy where you're trying to cover up something else. Now, of course, I'm not saying don't go on a short-term missions trip or don't do other things, but be careful of why you're doing it. Are you doing it in order to be seen? Matthew 6.1 says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. We have to guard ourselves against promoting ourselves for the sake of promoting ourselves. Be careful of hypocrisy. And as Jesus is saying, it's time to go public. One of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, does God see everything? No, I mean, does God see everything? Is that not a frightening thought? Let me just give you two words. Gossip. Pornography. I had a conversation with someone this past week, a husband and wife, who he confessed to pornography for a number of years. They have a long road ahead of them. But here's the point I want to make about this right now. He said, I feel a tremendous sense of relief now that it's out in the open. There's a lot of stuff to be worked on. But the first step is confession. Getting someone alongside of you that can help you through this process. What Jesus is saying here is, what are the private things that you've said, thought, or done that you think nobody else has seen? I see them. 
Get right with God before you start telling others about him. The problem with saying that, of course, is that some of us will always put off getting right with God and thereby never get around to telling the others about Jesus. But we have to take those first steps to be right with God, to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. Last week, the second um, takeaway that Randy gave to us was this, our private decisions will become visible. And even as I'm saying this, some of you are thinking, yes, I remember that from last week. In this past week, God revealed to me some of the private things that I need to deal with. And we can encourage you to continue to, in that process. Truth, truth will rise to the surface. It's not a matter of if, but when. So take the initiative. Stop trying to hide hypocrisy. It's impossible to completely hide it forever. As he moves into verses four through seven, he talks about, if you weren't afraid enough already, let's talk about what a proper fear of God looks like. Let's look at verses four to seven. I tell you, my friends, okay, hold on. Isn't it nice to know that Jesus calls us his friend? And that as he comes to this difficult part of the passage, he's doing so as friends with them. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And look at this on the screen here. What is fear of the Lord? Have you ever been around someone who, when a, a parent, when they raise their hand for whatever reason, the kid cowers? It's kind of scary to see that happen. When we think, oh, is that the kind of fear of God I should have? No, no. An overwhelming awe and reverence of God, which results in worship, obedience, and joy. Oswald Chambers said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Isn't that one of those statements that we say, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then I say, well, actually, how am I living that out? Because he's saying to them, do not fear those around you who can only harm you physically, rather fear God. And isn't it a blessing that he did, did not stop there? Look at those next, the next couple of sentences. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Fear God, but don't be afraid. What did the angels say whenever they showed up and saw, what did the angels first say? Fear not, don't be afraid. Why? Because it's frightening to see an angel. Here's God saying, fear, Jesus saying, fear God, but don't be afraid. How many of you remember the movie Chariots of Fire? Okay. Speaking of Eric Adele, missionary to China, um, while also a great runner. At one time, he said to his sister, uh, yes, I have a commitment and a passion for China, but God also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. In that movie, there's a scene where they're coming out of church, and his father and a friend who's not a believer says to the father, oh, so your God is a dictator, isn't he? And the father did not deny so. In fact, he said, I, yes, but he is a loving dictator. 
Much like in the Chronicles of Narnia. What's, what's the thing about Aslan? Is he safe? No, but, but he is good. This is what Jesus is saying right here. Fear God, but remember the, the God that you fear is a loving God as well. Philippians 1, 19 to 21. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Another one of those Easy come, easy go out of the, you know, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that for me to die, to live as Christ, to die is gain, to be with him? And to emphasize that, how about Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15? Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now imagine what it would be like to be there when the name, a name was written in the book of life. You ever seen one of those ceremonies where an accord was written, signed, and maybe it's the president or a leader of a country, and behind that person who's actually signing are a bunch of people who were part of the process. Imagine that you're there and the book of life is, another name is being added, and you're one of the people standing there and say, Thank you, God, for letting me be a part of this process. You may have been the first person who told someone about the gospel, or you may have been the last person when you showed up. That it was low-hanging fruit, if you will, and the person was ready to become a Christian, and you got the blessing of praying with that person and seeing that person go from death to life. But all these people standing behind as the name is being written in there, how cool would that be to even see that happening? Matthew 6, 33, 34, but seek first the ki his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One of our motivating forces, perhaps our primary one, yes, our primary one, should be seeking to give God glory in how we live and what we say. But all too often, our Christian lives are more about what do we get from God and how, how are we blessed by God. It's that cat and dog theology thing, isn't it, Greg? Okay. How, we sometimes focus too much on what we get from God rather than what we can give to God. I had a pastor in North Jersey where I grew up who said something along the lines of, I want, don't be the person who gets what you can, can what you get, and sit on your can. <laughs> we do that spiritually with God. We want to get what we can, can what we get, 
and sit on our can rather than sharing it with others. Again, if the greatest thing that has ever happened to you is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, then surely that is the best thing that we can give to someone else. And isn't it nice that it's one of those gifts that you get and you can give and you don't lose what you got? It's not like the chocolate that someone gave me a little earlier. Now I had it and they don't. It's a gift that keeps on giving and growing within us. 1 John 4.19 says, Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Are you fearing others? Why do you not share your faith more? Why do I not share my faith more? I think it has to do with fear, but if, if I truly knew God, feared him, loved him, that fear would dissipate. Jesus continues in verses 8 to 10 and talking about what does it mean to profess Christ? Verses 8 to 10. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And here Jesus in this huddle with his disciples, I believe is saying, remember, they need to know the message. Because if they do not get the message, how are they going to enter into the family of God? The gospel message is, is one that's simple but difficult. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, two of my favorite verses. You know, this is the record that God has given us eternal life. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And then verse 13 says, These things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. So, when I'm sharing the gospel with someone, I, I will say, okay, so if you have Jesus, you have the life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Which do you have? It's that simple. That's not easy. I'm saying simple. And sometimes we rob others by making it so complicated. Some of you remember this bumper sticker, or maybe even some of you actually have had this bumper sticker. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. It's a good message, but I think sometimes we relegate our gospel witness to bumper stickers. Honk if you love Jesus. Share the gospel. When necessary, it's always necessary. Have a relationship, yes. And I'm not talking about Beating someone over the head with the Bible. Only on rare occasions would that work. <laughs> One of the signs that you fear God is whether or not you fear telling others about him. If you truly feared God in a reverential way, that obedience would kick in and you would feel less fear about telling others about him. A few weeks ago, I was thinking it was Nick who preached on this passage where the woman came and anointed Jesus, and Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? And I think it's a question that Jesus asks us, and as he's talking to the huddle, do you see these people out here? Do you see this person? 
there are three ways to see people. And oftentimes when I would travel, oftentimes, let's say uh, in China or India, you get to the train station or the airport and there are thousands upon thousands of people. And you tend to, we tend to see people in one of three ways. The first way is scenery. Oh, look at the beggars over there. Utility. Here's a taxi driver that can help me get from where I am to where I want to go. Or as a person. Someone like me who has a low value, a low spiritual gifting in mercy and, evangel and evangelism, I have to train myself to see people as people and not just scenery or utility. That takes more intentionality, and I need to ask God to help me to do that. Some of you who are gifted in mercy and compassion, you, know, you see the, people, the beggar on the side, and you immediately want to help that person. It's easy for us to see groups and miss the individual. So again, let me say this. In your life, is there someone, are there some people that God is putting on your heart, in your mind right now, that he's saying, I want you to see this person. And maybe even share your faith with that person in the not-so-distant future. The first step, of course, is to see that person and to begin praying for that person. All right, now's where I take a risk. I want to lead you in a song. An old VBS song. Some of you know it. It's called Be Bold. How many of you remember the song, I Need Your Help, Please? Okay? So, be bold. It's an antiphonal song. You're going to repeat, be bold, be strong, be strong. For the Lord your God is with you. We do that again. And then, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Because wa we're walking in faith and victory. Come on and walk in faith and victory. For the Lord your God is with you. All right. Ready? We're going to do it two times. We're going to do it two times. <laughs> Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, because we're walking in faith and victory. Come on and walk in faith and victory, for the Lord your God is with you. Here we go again. Be bold, be, bold. Be, strong, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Be bold, be, bold. be, strong, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, because we're walking in faith and victory. Come on and walk in faith and victory, for the Lord your God is with you. You're all right. Thank you very much. <laughs> is that not the perfect song for this message? Fear not. Okay, be bold. Because, why? Because the Lord your God is with you. That has to be the basis. For the Lord your God is with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. We're walking in faith and victory, and therefore I'm going to be be bold in my witness uh, for God. But there's a concern, and this passage is in here, and we need to address that. Some people get really hung up on these couple of verses about, okay, so if I confess God, or if I don't confess God, and all this, let me make it simpler here. First of all, look at the example of Peter, who denied Jesus three times. 
and yet was restored. It's interesting, if you look at the pronouns, there's a difference between the everyone and the anyone. Everyone who denies me, denies Jesus, you know, we will be forgiven, but anyone who denies the Holy Spirit. And in evangelism, one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is conviction of sin, lifting up who Jesus is. And so, as I study this and look at the commentators, it seems apparent that this second example is referring to those who deny Jesus, and these are people who never become Christian because they deny who Jesus is, as opposed to most of us who at times mess up and yet are restored by Christ with great thanks and appreciation. Michael O., our speaker, as I said, at missions conference last month, uh, gave this quote, he said, if everyone told all their lives, everyone in their lives about Jesus, that would be a miracle. Can you imagine if everyone in this room this week told one person about Jesus? That would be a miracle. Would it not? Would it not? But look at the second part. But there would still be three billion people in the world who would never hear about Jesus, even if every Christian told every non-Christian that they knew about Jesus. Because there are three billion or more people in this world who do not even know a Christian. So we have an obligation in our local communities, in our lives, our oikos lives, if you will. But we also, and I'm so thankful for a church that has a good balance of local ministry and oikos discipleship, but also global ministry. And I actually want to uh, uh, introduce you to our latest family in our missionary family, part of our, our family. Our daughter Carla and Zach are heading to the mission field two weeks from tomorrow night. And they are the newest members of our LEFC missions family. Uh, it's been, yes, go ahead. <laughs> um, they are both MKs who met each other in Thailand and are now returning to the scene of the crime. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> They're returning to the joyous place where they first met each other and get to serve God in, right in the heart of our, our sphere of uh, ministry from, our, from LEFC. And exciting to, to see them go, um, although with a great deal of grief of losing uh, the, their presence among us. When we think about why does missions exist, it's because there are so many people who do not know the name of Jesus. And how are they going to hear unless someone goes? And I would dare say that maybe the greatest, one of the most dangerous acts of hypocrisy is the non-Christian pretending to be a Christian, bringing it back to here. Even in this room, I dare say there's probably some who, when we look around, we say, oh, that, must, that person's a Christian. But you know in your heart that that's not the case. You do a good job of putting that mask on. And I would encourage you, if that's true of you, make that known to someone. Don't continue to carry the weight of that mask on your face. That hypocrisy. Oh, they think I'm a Christian and I'm just going to let it ride because it's easier than telling them otherwise. The last two verses bring us to the provision of the Holy Spirit. Let me go ahead and read those two verses again. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, 
for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Jesus is preparing them. Remember, thousands of people out there, here we are, get ready. Fear me, fear God, but know that God is a loving God. Oh, and by the way, you have some spiritual resources available to you, one of which is the Holy Spirit. You don't do this alone. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Imagine the hearing room. There's a lot going on in the news today about reports and hearings and all this kind of stuff. Look at this hearing room. Imagine that that chair in the front is reserved for you. And you're being called into a hearing to give an account for your relationship with God. Acts 1.8 tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall be my witnesses. But what was the first part? When who comes? The Holy Spirit. Isn't it nice that we are called to a, a ministry of witnessing to Christ, but we don't do so alone. We have the Holy Spirit with us. First Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And there are three parts to this. The first part must be revere Christ in your hearts. Sanctify Christ in your hearts. How is your walk with the Lord? When you call him Lord, does it mean something? How often do we in our prayers talk about, pray, Lord, and it's not a matter of making him Lord. He already is Lord. The question is whether we yield to his lordship or not. Revere him as Lord in your hearts. And then, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Be ready to tell others about your salvation, your relationship with God. And yet, with two things, yet with reverence, uh, gentleness and respect. We're talking mostly about our Why? because we fear God. But this verse also reminds us of how to do it. John 16, 13 to 15 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And this is a great plug for us to, to memorize Scripture. How much of God's Word do you have? You think about these people around the world who are persecuted for their faith, and they, are, they, are, they don't have their Bibles with them. Well, they do. They have what's in their hearts. One of my favorite movies is um, Shawshank Redemption. Fortunately, it's one of those movies that's on all the time on cable. But there's a scene in there where uh, Andy Dufresne is pl playing uh, music over the intercom system, and he gets thrown into solitary confinement for a while, and he comes out, and he's at the table, and he says, uh, what'd you do? Oh, I listened to Mozart while I was there. They let you bring the record player with you? No. Have it here. They can't take that away from me. And whenever I see that scene, I think... Shouldn't it be that way with us, with God's Word? They can take my Bible away, but they can't take away that which is hidden in my heart of God's Word. 
And as I have God's Word hidden in my heart, not only does it help me to not sin, it also helps me to remember what God has said as I'm talking to the people around me. So memorize your Scripture. So as we look at this passage, again, let's remind ourselves of the mirror and looking at your life. Is hypocrisy part of your lifestyle? It's going to impact your witness, what you say to others. I would like you all to look up here and now look over there on the wall. This is our DNA, if you will, as a church. Four statements. Love God, love people, live truth, proclaim Jesus. These are not isolated segments. They should be part of the mixture, if you will. Each impacts the other. To what extent do you love, and I will add, fear God? You will love people. If you love God, how can you not love people? Because that's who God loves. Living truth is a nice guard against hypocrisy. And then are you going even to the point of, here we go, telling the words of the gospel, speaking, proclaiming Jesus. We preach Christ and him crucified. Creating space. What kind of harvest are we expecting? Souls, people. If this fear of the, the Lord is lived out in telling others about Christ, that building cannot be built fast enough. A year from now, imagine this. We're sitting in the building, and I ask the same two questions. How many of you have been Christians for more than five years? How many of you have been Christians for less than five years? And how many hands are going to go up? So let's talk about takeaways. Three questions. Whom do you fear more, others or God? What does the fear of the Lord look like for you? Can you trust God with your fear of telling others about him? Not is he trustworthy, we know he is. But can you, can I trust him with those fears that I have of telling others about him? The other day I was walking to campus as I do. Uh, I, my commute every day is 800 steps. From my house to my office, it's 800 steps to get to the building. where. And oftentimes our neighbors are out. Sometimes Eric, one of our neighbors, who is, um, and, I, and, you know, I don't have to walk up to him every time and say, hey, Eric, let me tell you about Jesus and go through the whole gospel message. But Oikos discipleship and evangelism is about establishing, building, cultivating relationships in order to have the opportunity to speak into their lives. So what did I say to Eric? It was Friday morning. How'd you do with your bracket yesterday? Uh, March Madness basketball, for those of you who are uninformed. <laughs> yeah. What are the ways that you can connect with somebody so that you can start to move into a deeper relationship and then, yes, share the gospel? Love God, love people, live truth, proclaim Jesus. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you are an awesome, amazing, 
omnipresent, omniscient, fear a God to be feared, and yet you are also a God who loves us. Thank you. Help us to increasingly know you so that we can increasingly make you known to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Great is our Lord. Great is our message. Earlier, Alex prayed, it's hard to think about how we could possibly thank him for all that he's done. I believe one of the best ways that we can thank him is to tell others about him and to praise him in the presence of others. 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and respect. May God help you to live that out this week. You're dismissed.